0: Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG 24.
1: Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Join us on our journey into the past, the present, and the future, as we explore the relationship between technology and humanity. Together, we are going to find out what it means to live in a society where everything is connected, and the only constant is change. Knowledge is power, now.
0: RSA Security offers business-driven security solutions that provide organizations with a unified approach to managing digital risk that hinges on integrated visibility, automated insights, and coordinated actions. Learn more at rsa.com. All right.
2: So yeah get it going all right so here we are here we are again yes. on our own we're on are
3: we on our own we're on our own Thank, thankfully we're never on our own because we always yeah. have guests with us sometimes although i think
2: one time we should try to do an episode just the two of us and probably people yeah. are going to tell us no no yeah
3: they'll it's say hard. no don't have that <laughs> blank space where <laughs> nobody's saying anything
1: in that,
3: in that yeah, yeah. but uh, sometimes it's with uh, conversations with new people we just met guests of people we know and today it's with uh someone who i i can say we call a friend he's been on the show a couple of times and we've met him and uh, he's doing some really cool stuff and uh and he's going to tell us his CISO story here today
2: yeah because this is what it is and we already had a few really interesting conversation the last one was uh one of the last one was with the the first CISO and those was like some interesting story and uh one thing that we learn and we're going more and more about is the fact that it's it's still a role that is still morphing and self-defining and I don't know, it's a shape-shifter still like between business and technology and and having all the conversation that in the end, it keeps everything together with good storytelling, which is where we dive in. And again, as you said, today we got Matthew on, and, yep. uh, Matthew Rosenquist, let's no, bring no
3: pressure to uh, keep the storytelling <laughs> exciting here
2: on this episode. Oh, I, I can bet on this guy; he's good. He's...
0: Uh, it's always a pleasure to sit down with you, Sean and Marco. It's always a fun time. Is it? So you know. My, my backstory is, is I've been doing security for over 30 years now. So, you know, if you think about it, going back that far, security back then was a dead end field. I mean, there was no op- upward mobility. The term information security didn't really even exist. Um, but I, I actually started on the physical side doing internal investigations and external inve- investigations about theft, fraud, embezzlement, things like that. Um, and I got a passion for it. It just, it, it struck a chord in me. So even knowing that uh, there's, there's nothing going to be to this, right, I, I I stuck with it. And I had a side passion of technology. I was always interested in technology and programming and coding and so forth. And, and there was no natural intersect, you know, 30, 35 years ago. Um, But I stayed with it and obviously technology sprung up and computers started appearing in people's homes and and every business out there and you started seeing networking occur. Um, uh, Internet still hadn't even been created, but my career started shifting down that path. And when I joined uh, Intel, uh, it was really under the guise of, of that technology. Uh, had a passion for it, so on and so forth. And when I got within the company after, you know, a few job shifts and, and kind of proving yourself, uh, back in the day, you really ha- kind of had to prove yourself as, as, uh, being worthy of, of in that community, uh, within Intel, which was great, a, a great, great place, um, and incredible people, uh, at the time. And the company was having issues. And at the time I was actually, I was a domain administrator for Banyan Vines and Novell and the, the mad domains, the windows domains, they called them mad domains back at the time. So, you know, I knew all the infrastructure stuff, but I still had that passion for, for security. So when the company started to decide, Hey, we need to do something about this, um, there were some, some really sharp people that that went to the executives and proposed we really need to create this this focal focused area, this this security operations team, right? And you know, they were proposing a, a security operations center. And twice they went to the executives with a proposal and I got shot down. And my manager at the time knew that I had this passion and said, Why don't you give it a crack? why don't you come up with a financial justification and a risk justification that we can propose um, to, you know, create a security operations center, uh, Intel's first. And I thought, sure, you know, that, that sounds great. It's, it's impossible, right? I, I won't be able to do it, but it's, it, it's, you know, I'll always jump for that brass ring and, and you're going to learn something. So I wrote up a, a risk analysis and a cost and put it forward. And he, executives agreed to it and I was thrilled and you know the bottom part the, the at the very end of my proposal I said you know hey if you agree to this you need to find somebody to go off and, and build this and manage it you got to build a team you got to do all these things and so I went to my manager and said that's awesome that it was approved you know who, who are they going to get get to to build this and he said well it's going to be you <laughs> <laughs> and I was shocked I was thrilled but I was shocked and there really weren't any templates out there right uh, Carnegie Mellon who kind of created the original template for security operation centers and cert teams and everything else, hadn't published, come out with, this is how you do it. This is step one, step two, step 50. And so it was all from scratch. (laughs) So I assembled my team. Um, I got to cherry pick. Uh, I got about 20, 25 heads and I got to cherry pick people. And it was that first thought of, okay, nobody's really done this what kind of talents do I need Um, not only to build it, but to staff it and figure things out. Um, And one of the, we started building it and we built every, we customized everything. Um, We had a massive room, you know, think uh, NASA with the big screens. We had like nine, I think there were eight foot screens around this two story room that we created uh, this war room that we used. And it was amazing. But, trying to figure out how to get it all done. There, there weren't even tools. Uh, there weren't uh, you know, uh, scene tools at the time, right? Uh, incident management tools that could you know, ingest all these and, and create, so had to go forth and say, okay, let's go to our programmers and, and have something written. And we ended up going to a small vendor that was just emerging and sat down with them and said, we'll work with you. We'll bring your people in We've got an army of programmers as well. We'll help you design your product and actually make it enterprise worthy. And then we'll use it. And you can use all everything that we give you all the insights to make it a commercial product. The only caveat is whatever we ask of you, whatever feature that you put it, you have to support it because we didn't want to support it. And, And it just started from there. And we started building, um, Uh, Kind of alliances and partnerships with different software and hardware vendors and and everything else. But all those kind of key learnings came to fruition because we were able to establish Intel's first 24 by 7 security operations center. And, you know, my career, once I was able to do that, the dominoes started falling. Once you have the security operations center, well, bad things happen. Well, you have to have a crisis plan. We have to have a, you know, we call it a CERT team now, computer emergency response team, uh, and everybody has them. But at the time, what is that, right? We called them something different, uh, but we started doing that. And they said, hey, will you build that and lead that and be the incident commander for Intel? Anytime the company is attacked anywhere in the world, you and whatever team you build will own it. You swoop in, take over. You make the decisions, and you're accountable for it. Um, no pressure, you know, okay. right? No yes. pressure at all. No. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so, okay, next impossible job. And so, my career. <laughs> well, your success a there relies experience.
2: on
3: your success there relies on how well you built the suck. Exactly. Oh, if I would have failed
0: miserably, I wouldn't have even had a job, um, which which is fine, you know. I mean, and that was the culture at Intel at the time. Is every job you have is proving your, your worth in your career. And if you can't succeed, you know, you don't belong with, with the, the brilliant, brilliant people, um, you know, that, that I got to work with, you know, back in the day at Intel. So, um, you know, it it was just the next job and the next job. And once that was done, they said, Oh, you know, we really need to secure all of our IT clients throughout the company. Can you figure out how to do that? (laughs) Um, sure. You know, and from there on, you know, hey, you know, we do billions of dollars in acquisitions. Can you figure that out? Hey, we we seem to have a problem with our factories going down and we want to propose an insanely, you know, a large project to, to make sure that does not happen. Can you figure that? Sure, 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 sure. So, but that every experience, every challenge Um, And I probably only stayed on average into a job at Intel 18 to 24 months. It was, what is the impossible problem? Go in, build the team, build the processes, make it productionalized, bring it to world-class status in a sustaining mode, and then I'm done. Get me to the next one. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the last 15, almost 15 years, I got to cherry pick my jobs at at intel which is you know it's 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 a little unusual um i'd said you know when i was done with the job and i would already have let my manager know and everything i'd send out an email to to people i knew at the company and said okay i've closed this out this is done i'm looking for the next problem and normally within 24 hours i will have chosen from one of four or five different different requests and then i'd move on to the next job and have that conversation okay i'm only going to be here. A year to two years, I'm going to solve the problem, but then I'm gone. I will find somebody to backfill me, but then I'm gone. And once I got that agreement and a few other, you know, asks that I would always have, um, I'd move on. And so that's just kind of how uh, my career progressed. And in every job, in every issue, you know, m as for example, you learn a tremendous amount because you have to be able to go into another company even before you own them and try and understand the challenges and the risks Uh, and they're not going to tell you everything. You don't have inside information or anything. And then once you do actually write the check, now you get to see, you know, the, the, the kimono comes up uh, or opens up and and you get to see everything good, bad, and indifferent. And how do you do that? And, and dealing with the cultures um, you know, dealing with manufacturing environments and all the very specific hardware and equipment in there. And how do you protect things that you can't patch? You can't update right? Uh, relying entirely on third-party vendors to sustain it. Um, so everything, everything in the career is a learning lesson. Yeah.
3: And, and I think we've, and maybe you can confirm my, my view of this, but we've gone from a world of unknowns and complete ambiguity to a world of tremendous complexity.
0: Oh but, yes, yes. So and, I'm
3: wondering, wondering how, how you've transitioned from, building a sock and and you said there were no tools there are no standards there were no frameworks there were no best practices or guidelines you had to define that you actually helped the team build build some of the the, the software and you were a hardware guy so you had to build software for this mm-hmm. at a hardware company and so how, how did you overcome some of those challenges and how have those morphed over time to perhaps your, your CISO role, where some of the stuff is there but so now you're dealing with complexity and less ambiguity, but, but still the challenges are different, right?
0: They are. Um, and I, I've noticed my peers who also come from, you know, 25, 30 year backgrounds, we tend to have a different perspective than a lot of the newer CISOs that are three, five, seven, even 10 years. <clears throat> and one of the things is appreciation. Um, So, for example, uh, right now, if, 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 you know, there there are tons of people around the world that are sitting in security operations centers and are bombarded by millions of alerts, and that is their frustration, right? Um, And for every CISO, trying to figure out all those, my approach uh, is, actually, I'm kind of thankful, right? Because I remember the day where we didn't even have that capability, Right now people are, are overwhelmed by the number of alerts. I spent a good part of you know, building the uh, sock trying to actually get those alerts. I wanted to be flooded, right? I would rather have too much information than not enough. So you know, part of it is, is simply the appreciation of seeing how the environment has grown. And yes, we are in a cr- tremendously complex situation now. And the number of tools that are available to people is overwhelming and the amount of data overwhelming, right? The ambiguity and everything else, it, is, um, it, it, it seems like an impossible situations to a lot of CISOs uh, and their staffs. And, you know, I'm, I'm in the background going, this is a good problem to have. <laughs> I'm the one in the corner <laughs> that has a smile on going, you don't know how well you have it, right? Let's, let's take it from that perspective. And then it's just a matter of improving. Yeah. Right. you've it's got. got I'm, I'm here
2: thinking. Here's what I'm thinking through your entire presentation. I'm thinking okay, you mentioned NASA, it's like, you know, it's like you got to go to the moon, figure it out, right? right. <laughs> At the beginning. <laughs> then I'm thinking like, hey, it's, a, it's like using metaphor, like the fellowship of the ring, you know, you put together the best team and then you go on an adventure. And then W07, that you go from one problem to another, right? So yes. I think all through this is like, I, I can just hear in your voice the excitement and the passion for the problem solving. So I think one thing that really drives these stories that passion to say bring it on. But I also want to ask you, was it like any situation when you were like, there is no solution to this? Like yes. let us let's, let's refocus a little bit because you're asking to go to this planet and we don't have the technology. Yeah,
0: yeah. You're, you're being asked to go to a planet that you yeah. can't see. You don't That's even right. know it's there, right? right. Which, which direction do we go? Yeah. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, you run into problems like that, um, you know, especially when you're talking about problems that are multifaceted, right? A lot of people that, that come up into the ranks in cybersecurity, they started in IT, and IT problems tend to be single-faceted. So for example, if um, I have a server in a data center and the power supply goes out, I know what I have to do. Somebody has to go into the data center, go to that rack, pull out the power supply, slap in a new one, turn it back on, and I'm good to go, right? It's very straightforward, so much so that it can be scripted. It's easy. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I can run predictive uh, analytics to predict how often it's going to happen And have equipment and people ready and standing by, even preventative maintenance to happen. When we talk about cybersecurity, you're talking about an intelligent threat. Somebody that may have more resources than you, smarter than you, more motivated than you, right? And may have resources behind them. And they may be much more adaptable. And so no matter what you do, right, they come in through the front door so you lock it they're going to find a window, they're going to find a, a trusted person that's going to let them in, they're going to adapt to whatever you do. So it isn't a single faceted threat, it's a multifaceted threat. And as long as the attacker's is persistent, it, the, the risks continue, right? The attack never stops, they just shift. So when we're talking about an adversary like that, it's a different game every day. Mm-hmm. You know, when we watch football, uh, here in America or, you know, actual football, right? Soccer uh, <laughs> around the world. Every game is different. It's not the same game, right? It, and, and every contest, there's different maneuvers. Even though the rules are the same, the, the field is basically the same. They okay. use basically the same ball, not the exact same ball, but it's the same ball. But every game is different. Every contest is different. And cybersecurity is very much that way. So Except you, there are no rules. If you don't embrace that ambiguity, you won't survive. <laughs> Mentally, emotionally, you won't survive. So.
2: Well, well, that's the thing. Now, you're saying about something is always different, but there are specific rules. You can't do mm-hmm. this. You can't do that. That's how you attack. That's how you defend. That's how many people you got on the, on yes. the play, right? And then cybersecurity is like, I don't know where they're coming from. <laughs> I don't know their motivation. Well,
3: what I heard over and over and over is what you said every time, Matthew, was here's a problem, right? Now, what you didn't say perhaps might where my change is how did you find out there was a problem? Maybe we can mm-hmm. touch on that in a minute. Yeah. But here's a problem. Figure out the solution. Build a team. Here's a problem. Find the solution. Build a team. And I want to get to that third point um, because you have the passion and the drive and clearly the wherewithal to find. Uh, the path forward to the solution. I'm, I'm, I'm presuming your team helped you <laughs> find oh, yes. solution the solution as well. The team's so the about, solution. Talk to yeah. me about the team because you, you have to rally them. They have to become part of the story. Yes. They have to help you fulfill
0: that, that, uh, that ultimate mission.
1: Right? Uh,
0: the team actually does the problem solving, they come up with the solution. So, you know, the best you can do is as somebody that comes into the situation as a leader is to recognize, okay, something has to get done, right? You know, uh, for example, you know, you have to protect your factory or you have to, to protect your mergers and acquisitions or divestitures, whatever. So you've got it at the strategic level. And the best you can do is, okay, we're going to define what are the success criteria and get a, try to at least get your arms around defining what the problem is then you bring in the team. You find the very best people, not only in knowledge, but also in attitude and passion in the soft skills of being able to communicate with one another, right? And you get them all together and their expertise. They're the, they're, that's the brain pool, right? I'm just the guy out front. I'm the guy bringing all these really, really smart people together to then less really understand the problem let's figure out what are the solutions and options, what are the resources, right? Um, you know, a methodology that, that I've used for decades now, right? O3RMI, um, objective opposition, obstacles, resource, mission, and implementation, right? And so if you kind of go down through that line, you, you start defining the problem, getting the right people, figuring out what you can do, what should be done, what's optimal, and then go make it happen. And that's, that's the body of the team. In my career, I've had the, the benefit and pleasure of pulling together some of the most brightest people um, that I, my brain can't even hold a candle to, right? I'm not the brilliant guy. I just know how to bring brilliant people together and get them focused to come up with a solution and make it sustainable, make it affordable, make it hit those risk targets. And that's really what you know, a good leader should be doing. It's, it's not solving the problems themselves. One person can't. If you think you can, you're in for some rude (laughs) awakenings. But there is a
2: really quick reference to the sport world that that we were touching in before. Sometimes the good coach, the guy that put the whole team together, the strategy, is never being the excellent player. But it's the one with the vision, the one that can see where there is a... There is a hole in the defense and there is a problem in the attack. And uh, yes. that alone is something, you know, there are excellent athletes that can never teach the way they do it. They just do it. Right. right. <laughs> like I'm good <laughs> at it.
0: I don't know. Uh, and that's where I am. I- I'm the coach on the sideline. You would not want to put me in a chair in a security operations center <laughs> going through alerts. And I mean, I know how to functionally do it. I can, you know, sniff yeah, well, packets. Not your I can do that, but. That's, that's, that's no longer part of my, my toolkit. I, you would, I would be a a menace. I would cause more problems, right? (laughs) So we all have a role to play and understanding what that is. That makes a huge difference. That's, that's the first challenge. I think in anyone's career, where are you passionate? What are you good at? How are you going to contribute? You're not going to solve the world, right? But you play a role. There's a, you're a piece in a bigger puzzle. Find out where you fit and go with it. Right. And that's how we all contribute. Security is a team sport. It really is. We have to work together. Right. So my role strategist, CISO, uh, you know, that's that's where I play, have a lot of fun. And I leverage all those experiences and and all those successes and failures. Right. uh, Of the past to make me better so I can help make everybody else achieve what they need to. Yeah, let, let's talk about uh, you mentioned success and failure, um, and I'm
3: I want to bring it back to the other point that that uh, we mentioned here a second ago, which is finding the problem. Right, it's easy to see if money's uh, bleeding out of the company, or there's a massive fraud, or right. or if system is down. Right, uh, we have this, uh, we we can't keep our uh, retail systems online. That's, <laughs> that's a Everything's offline. Four oh four. Different problems. How, are they event driven like that? Are they risk driven? Are they business driven? How, how how are you identifying some of the or how's the team identifying the problem? And then how do you get looped in? And does the problem change as well once you start to unpack it?
0: Well, in cybersecurity, right? It's it's not just a narrow little field. Cybersecurity is applied to all different domains, all different industries. Anywhere you have where you have connected digital technology. Cybersecurity plays a role in, you know, managing the security, the privacy, the safety. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different aspects of it. So when we talk about detecting a problem, um, in most cases, it's something somebody, right, realizes, hey, money's gone, or my site is down, or, or something like that, or, or my private information has been exposed, and somebody is impersonating me. Unfortunately, that's very, very responsive. And a lot of our industry is, is focused because there's cost constraints. In, in most cases, security is a cost sink. It, it isn't generating revenue. So companies want to apply the minimum amount that they need to to security um, to keep things you know, at the, the acceptable risk level. Okay, great. That's fair enough. But that, in most cases, uh, puts organizations into a position of they're in very responsive Only when something bad happens, something's on fire, smoke is coming through the window, right? That they notice it and go, okay, now we're going to either invest more or allocate our resources to go fix that. So in many cases in organizations that I I won't say immature, but maybe not as mature as others, um, they're very responsive. So it really is that squeaky wheel that drives them to act. Now, when we get to more mature, organizations, where you have your risks acceptance better defined, your policies better defined, you can actually put in much more detective controls um, that can lead you to understand things before they're hitting, right? Or at least before they get really big. Imagine somebody compromising your credit card, right? Uh, And they may just start off with a couple of small charges just to verify that it's a valid account and it hasn't been closed. So you may get a $2 charge, right? Most people won't even notice that, but now once they've got that $2 charge, now I'm going to go crazy, right? I'm going to start spending thousands of dollars on it. If you had your policies and controls to be able to detect when you got that $2 charge, you could probably go, I know there's something more coming. I'm going to now be a little proactive and, and, you know, shut my car down or, 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 or do something. And that's where that next level of maturity is. And beyond that, you actually have some organizations that, have, that, are, that are much more mature and much more predictive capabilities. And they can actually sit down and go, okay, I'm um, an IP company or I'm an imagine manufacturer or I'm something. And who are my likely threats, right? And we talk about threat agents. Is it the cyber criminals who are almost always a threat, right? Is it the APTs or nation states? Is it the data harvesters? Is it, you know, what is it, right? And then go through a process of saying, what are they going to target from me? What are the likely methods they're going to use? Now I can put in preventative controls, predictive controls. I can put in detective controls and I can set up my responses to be able to happen in a flash. So now you've got the controls to reduce the risk greatly from the most likely attacks. You can't defend against everything, right? Um, You know, Frederick the Great, you know, said to try and protect everything means you protect nothing, right? So you you have to put your resources where the most likely and impactful things are gonna happen. If you can do that, you cut that down a lot, a lot of the actual exploits that occur, and if you have that detective controls then, and you know what you're looking for, right? Because you know the likely attacks. You have those, they trigger quick, and then they immediately move into a response capability. You can jump on things that get through those, those primary defenses. And that type of risk management is incredibly powerful, but it's tough to build. It's tough to maintain. And that's exactly what I wanted to hear from you next quickly,
3: perhaps (laughs) in theory, all sounds great, right? Sure. Uh, Do do the code review before you
0: ship the product. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And know how the attacker is going to try and undermine it. Right. Even if you think you have perfect code. Yes. So, so shifting left, great idea, makes perfect sense.
3: How the heck do you do it?
0: it's understanding yourself. It's understanding the enemy. That's always the first step. Right. Um, and it goes back to Sun Tzu. It's I'm not creating anything special <laughs> here. Right. This goes back to Sun Tzu. If you know understand your enemy. Yeah, exactly. If you know your enemy, you know the Matthew resources
3: does. and I'm going to, I'm going to pick on you though. Yeah. Even this is still just a message. How, how do you do it? Well, it's a is, mindset. Is, is it, is it a, who comes together in a room and says, these are the stories. These are the scenarios.
0: Okay. So let's, let's circle back around and talk about that coach, right? <laughs> so the first step is to understand that there's, there's an objective. There's a problem here. Maybe the problem is an organization doesn't have that capability, but wants it. Okay. That's the problem right? And I'm going to, you know, as that coach, let's define some goals. We want to have predictive capabilities, preventative, detective, and responsive, and we want them to continuously feed to be better. Okay. That's my goal. Now what's my next step? I got to, I got to build a team. I have to build a team to then go forth and understand what each of those means and deliver against those and make it into a sustainable system that's economical right? That's effective. That's adaptive because we know everything changes, right? And that can institute whatever necessary controls, audits, checks, capabilities in your system that you're working in. So again, the next step, build the team, pose it to the team, have that brilliance work on it and then move forward to implement. So you need to have making full circle here, right? You you need to have a specific
2: vision. I mean, you need to know yes. what you're working with. You can't just say we got to. You said if you have to protect everything, <laughs> exactly. you're not going to protect anything. <laughs> so that let's, that let's idea problem, of exactly. this is what this is that we probably where the enemy wants to go,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and change with the business. and it change with the particular situation it may, may be driven by, uh, you know, cyber cyber threat, cyber war, police. Political yep. situation, financial I gain, mean, political game, yeah, everything, you know, emotional
0: satisfaction, things so, of revenge, all sorts of stuff. Yes.
2: So let's go. Let's go to in the in the future. Let's uh, welcome to the future.
0: Okay. Uh,
2: <laughs> we started <laughs> with we don't even know how to handle this. There are no rules. Uh, there is a problem. Figure it out. Now we're in a position that I think we have years. Uh, decades of experience. We still know, we, we're never going to know all, right? right? But we have also more advanced technology and we can start diving into artificial intelligence and, you
0: know. And so does the, the bad real. guys. Bad guys has be- have better technology. Exactly. Too. We okay. all
2: do it. So <clears throat> I guess the general question is, where are we going? And uh, if the, the CISO role, it's, it's shifting even more. Where is it going? How are the human and technology are gonna play
0: yeah. in the future scenario? The CISO scenario. role has been shifting ever since inception and it will continue to shift. And it's not just the CISO. Um, you know, I talk to a lot of people that are going into cybersecurity and hey, I really wanna be a security architect or this or that. Um, and I mentor a lot of people as well. And one of the things that I always tell them is, understand your job, your role, no matter what it is. If you join a company or a firm or organization or an agency, whatever you're doing right now will fundamentally change in 18 to 24 months. The tools that you use, the objectives that you're going to be asked to achieve, um, the type of threats or risks or attacks, it's all going to change. So don't get too comfortable in what you're doing. You have to adapt at the same rate as the bad guys are attacking, right? They're innovating, they're changing, And that's going to have a cascade effect on your organization and that will shift what you do. And that holds true throughout cybersecurity careers, and especially the CISO. The CISO is becoming more and more important because we have digital transformation that's occurring. Our lives are being connected and enriched more and more every day. We are embracing digital technology in our personal, private, professional lives and with that, and, and, and it's great things, right? Great things. But with that, it comes with an equitable amount of risk, right? Think of um, government systems, uh, voting, voting, right? It, it used to be chads, right? You, you push a, a, a dot through a piece of paper. Now it's moving to something that's very digital electronic. Um, great, right? We can distribute that. We can tabulate that. We can do all sorts of things very quickly, more efficiently, cost-effective. But what are the risks? Potential compromise, right? Somebody gets um, put in office that maybe shouldn't have. Don't know, right? We look at um, AI, right? Uh, Transportation networks. Uh, We all want that car that can drive itself where you can just get in, crawl in the backseat, go to sleep and be driven home from, from the pub. We all really want that, right? <laughs> we haven't had that since we had trained horses that you could just kind of stumble back on and have the horse take you home. Right? So we want that back, we all do. Well, okay, most of us do, I want that. But again, when we, when we give control over to a digital system, no matter how smart it is, it can still be potentially compromised and we've seen that. And so you know, I, I really want it to take me down the freeway at, at 65 miles an hour and get me home safely. Uh, But if a bad guy can take that and all of a sudden turn 90 degrees and accelerate into oncoming traffic, that poses a risk to me and my family and other families, right? So great technology, it's going to enrich the world, but it brings associated risks. So CISOs are being taxed with a lot of these concerns. Make, protect my environment, my computing environment, protect my intellectual property, protect the confidentiality of the data of our customers, our partners, our employees, and our business. But now also make sure that our systems are safe and our products are safe. This is starting to bear down on CISOs and it is a tremendous problem. That's why CISOs never sleep. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, And
3: And this is a good, good segue to, to, uh, maybe perhaps the final point here from you is as you ride your uh, autonomous white horse into the into the sunset <laughs> um, a lot of this has been a CISO the CISO the CISO the shoulders are starting to drag and and I'm wondering what what's the future or the expectation from others on the role what what do they have to change in their mindset as the role continues to evolve
0: well I think three things Um, first off, it's making sure that the CISO is empowered and we're seeing that we're seeing where the CISO reports getting higher and higher in the organization. Um, you know, computer or information security, data security used to report well below several levels under the CIO or, or maybe the uh, CTO, sometimes under legal. We're seeing that get elevated so that they have a voice. We're seeing them now report into the CEO. We're seeing them report also into the board, right? Have that visibility. So that, you have to empower them. That's number one. The second thing is that burden that they're bearing, they can't by themselves get that done. So what it requires is deep partnership and collaboration with their C-level partners, right? Everything from the, the chief human resource officer, right? And you'd think, oh, well, they don't, yes, they need to be involved, right? To the chief technologist and the CIO and CTO, Everything, everybody at that C-level and then within their organizations down needs to be working with the security folks. And again, the head, the leader is the CISO, but the integration has to occur at all levels, right? Um, And the third thing is we need to start proactively thinking about security when it comes to technology innovation, And we started off our conversation here about a lot of times, you know, we only respond to that squeaky wheel that's reactive and we never win. We never catch up when we're reactive. And unfortunately there's an axiom right in our industry, security is never relevant until it fails. We need to break that axiom. We need to start thinking about the risks Uh, And we're starting to do that, right? There's conversations about 5G now. There's conversations about AI now that are proactive. How do we make things ethical? How do we make things secure? How do we make things safe? What are those fundamentals that need to be put in place as part of the initial designs versus just throw the product out there? We'll patch on security later because that always fails. So I think those winning, are the winning, winning solution there. <laughs> yeah, those are the three things that really have to happen as transformative, right? To, to keep parity with the pace of how the bad guys are are able to approach it. Those are the three things that security has to evolve to, have to be empowered with the right visibility within an organization. There has to be the collaboration and cooperation across, starting at the C level, but across laterally at all levels. And third, we have to make a priority of of instituting security fundamentals, and that's security, privacy, and safety, into products, services, architectures, designs, infrastructure, everything else, before we embrace them.
3: Yeah, I love it, and um, I, I'm a, and we've had started to have some of these conversations under the the channel uh, business of security, and I, I wholeheartedly believe there's. much bigger value to information security and and privacy beyond just setting a bunch of controls to ensure things do what they should do Uh, i think there's an opportunity to drive innovation and to drive business value and to drive even better customer uh experiences if security is baked in from the beginning so even even further than just the (laughs) moving away from reactive so thrilled to uh thrilled to hear your bit of your journey and some of your experiences and uh, and your insight into how to make this actually possible and, and the role of the CISO today and in the future.
0: Absolutely my my pleasure. It's always uh, a great chat with you gentlemen. <laughs> I look forward to future ones.
2: Always, always fun and uh, yeah, so glad to have you on board. It, it makes our job a lot easier when, uh, when, when you come in and you have so many great stories to tell, which is like, we're just like part of the audience. We're listening. Exactly, and, and we get to, you know, we get to chime in and, uh, and learn on the way. So, Matthew, thank you so much. Those, yes, thank uh, you. Great, great stories. Thank
0: you, thank you. RSA Security offers business-driven security solutions that provide organizations with a unified approach to managing digital risk that hinges on integrated visibility, automated insights, and coordinated actions. Learn more at rsa.com.
1: We hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you learned something new and the story made you think, then share ITSP Magazine with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our columns. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.
0: Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSPMAG24.